Hey guys, welcome back to Level Up Grappling Podcast. This is Coach Brian So, starting back up where we left off last week, part two in our series with the legend Steve Silvers. I finished by asking him the question, what made him transition from gi to no gi full-time? I know it's still a very hot topic for a lot of you out there. So let's find out and a whole lot more. Let's have some fun. Tell them, tell everybody, what made you gravitate towards no gi, and when did you stop doing the gi? Hmm. Okay, that's a great question. Um, I just say one thing though before that, you know, is it? I, I I liked how you you broke that down, and I think there's a tendency for people to sort of look at grab or look at fighting as a whole. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, like you rightly said, you know, if you're training for a tournament, that's going to be different than you're training for generally fighting in the street. And what I think is really interesting when these kind of discussions and generally speaking debates or arguments kind of come up is a lot of times is, you know, there's always that, well, that wouldn't work on the street. And it's like, well, I'm not training to do it on the, I'm not training to you know, pull guard and leg lock somebody on the street. Why the fuck would I do that? Mm. That's just dumb. Yeah. You know, or like the usual argument of like, well, jujitsu wouldn't work on the street. Why the fuck are you going to go to the ground? But like you said, rightly speaking, you don't start on the ground. Right. And grappling isn't just on the ground. That's a misconception for right from the game. Huge misconception. So, you know, and that's a pardon. It's a huge misconception. Huge, huge misconception. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have that, you know, um, you know, and like watching the UFC. Now, do I think that a UFC fighter could could, you know, beat people on the street? Absolutely. You know, just like, you know, like Hickson was famous for saying that he didn't think any of these black belts in in the IBJJF or in sport jujitsu could recreate their dominance, you know, in a real setting. Mm. I completely disagree with that. That's ridiculous. So it's like, for my mind, it's like if you're if you're at the top of the tree mm-hmm. in sport jujitsu, you think that a person like that, you think like a person like Gordon Ryan couldn't deal with somebody that doesn't train at all on the street? Because we're talking about absolutes, right? Yep. And we're talking about an open-ended conversation with no parameters right. at all. There's no like, you know, usually there's no nuance or or context being given to these kind of discussions, but just in and of itself, could somebody like Gordon Ryan deal with somebody on the street that doesn't train? I don't think there's any doubt in my mind anyway, there's no doubt in my mind that he could deal with them. But to say that he couldn't, I think is strange because it's like ultimately at the end of the day, you may be doing jujitsu as a sport, but it's still a martial art. It's still involved with joint locks and strangulation. And generally speaking, most people you meet on the street have two arms, two legs, and yep. a head. And if they have no training and no coordination, they're not going to do that well. You don't have to be a black belt IBJJF world champion to deal with people like that. I think the standard is blue belt, right? Yeah. According to what I'm reading in yeah, this book, yeah, I, to be able to deal with anybody on yeah. the street, you get your blue belt. So, so 
um, I think in that sense, it's like it's it, it's always interesting to having these kind of discussions about martial arts. Personally, I love sport jujitsu, um, and I love sport jujitsu. I also like watching real fights, and I also like watching MMA. I'm not a big fan of the UFC these days, mm. but I like uh, One FC in in uh, Singapore. Mm -hmm. um, but but. Um, you know, in terms of the bigger discussion and all of those things, I think context and, and nuance has to be provided, you know, while talking about these things. And a lot of time, I mean, like the gi and no gi discussion, mm -hmm. what a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Just go to the gym and fucking Just train. train. Gi, no gi, whatever. Cool. Just train. <laughs> I don't care. You're doing jujitsu? That's awesome. Yeah, well, you know, so... so Personally, okay, so my preference... Yeah. I want to know. Okay. So my preference really kind of came about almost by accident. Um, at the time, I was training at Hickson's, and um, I was enjoy really enjoying it a lot. And um, my, one of my main training parts, actually, if not, yeah, probably one or two, the second main training partner that I had was at that time was Kron. Mm. And, um, and, and he was a purple belt at that time, uh, young ish and uh you know and i was like he's the youngest guy in the adult class and i'm the oldest guy in the adult class and somehow we ended up paired up and obviously he would beat the shit out of me and and stuff like that but it was always kind of cool you know because i'd ask him questions he'd give me answers and all that kind of stuff and so i was going along uh with the program and kind of really enjoying you know training at hickson's and stuff like that and then hickson decided to move back to brazil mm -hmm. Um, what I found out later was that, you know, he was having some marital issues or whatever. And anyway, him and his wife um, decided to split. So for a period of time, he went back to Brazil. So consequently, he wasn't around much. And during that time, uh, another mutual friend of ours, Raghunath, mm -hmm. um, uh, Ray Capo, was uh, training with John Jack Machado in the Valley. And, um, you know, he, he uh, we'd met a couple of times on you know, in LA and, uh, you know, we're talking about jujitsu and all that kind of stuff. And, and he invited me down to this guy's new school. Um, Eddie, this guy called Eddie Bravo. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on. I can't go and train with Eddie Bravo. I train with Hickson Gracie. It's like, he's super tight with Hoyler. Eddie just beat Hickson. Uh, Eddie just beat Hoyler. Yeah. And he's like, there's no way I can go to that school. He's like, come on, dude. It's not like that. Come on down. Right. So, Anyway, so I went to the bomb squad with uh, Raghunath. And, you know, I was used to this very formal, more traditional style, you know, of, of uh, running, an, running a school, you know. And, you know, Hickson's was relaxed, but it was definitely more on the traditional side. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, going to Eddie's school, it was, it was amazing. Eddie was super friendly, really engaging, very conversational, um, gave me a DV his DVD um, you know, and, and also it didn't hurt that, um, training at the bomb squad was half the price of, as compared to training with Hickson. Um, but it was without a gi. Yeah. And I never done any formal training in jujitsu without a gi. Mm -hmm. So I started going to the bomb squad and at that time Eddie was, um, going over, um, his half guard and there was something about how he was teaching and the subject matter that he was teaching, obviously he has his, you know, the lockdown, which is slightly different than the traditional 
half guard game that you know you might play in a gi or whatever um so that that was unusual but once i'd gotten into it i realized that as a a low level lowly blue belt that this was a means by which i could actually start really significantly controlling people and then being able to attack from the bottom mm-hmm. um not without resistance, but with very little resistance, because a lot of people really couldn't understand how to deal with that particular position at that time. So consequently, over a period of meeting with success from training down there at the bomb squad, I kind of started really enjoying jujitsu to a degree that I'd never really enjoyed it in the gi. Mm. And it wasn't like I was comparing it because I had no, no comparisons um, when I first started jujitsu. Um, but once I got to the bomb squad and I started training with Eddie, I really enjoyed the, um, you know, the 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 pace mm-hmm. of of not wearing the gi, and obviously the the possibilities and and bringing in and and again we're talking about I think it was like two thousand five or two thousand actually two thousand six. Um, early 2006. Um, and at that time, you know, like Eddie was talking about bringing in this thing from wrestling or that thing from Russian Sambo. And it was exciting, you know, because um, I'd gotten into, you know, like training with Hickson was really cool, but it was very clear that a lot of things were not going to fly. For example, um, I remember doing the lockdown mm. once I got back to Hickson's school. And aside from guys not being able to get out of it, I remember being lectured um, that we do not do this technique in this school. If you want to do that, you better fucking leave. Mm. Right. So, you know, that right there was pretty much the straw that broke the camel's back and kind of convinced me that actually maybe I just need to move on at this point, which is weird. Right. Because it's like you get to a certain, you know, I don't. I don't know that there are that many people that start out in jujitsu thinking like, well, you know, once I get through one or two initial instructors, I'll eventually find the guy, you know? So I had, you know, really there was, in my mind, there was no other guy other than Hicks and Gracie. Um, But I really didn't react that well to being spoken to in that kind of way. Also, you know, like with the tradition that you and I come from, the spiritual tradition, you know, that uh, once, you know, authorities get start getting a little bit too kind of hands on and, you know, and um, and restrictive, you know, or censoring in that sense, like that was enough for me. I was out. And um, so I ended up basically just training with Eddie and I really enjoyed his training methodology. Um, I, as far as memory serves me, I think he was tra- he was teaching three techniques every two weeks. Right. Yeah, that's and the techniques were around the same position. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So basically, me right? basically, yeah, because uh, yeah, I was one of the founding members of that place too. Shh, little no dirty secret. Uh, so basically, it, oh really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, bomb Squad, because I was at John Jacques Machado's and Chris Howder's, and uh, so when I was over there, I was doing that because oh. it's like I was trying to do this no gi stuff, but then Chris Howder would always be like Brian. Bring me those techniques. I'm going to beat it out of you. The thing was, when you do it with Chris Howder or Hegan Machado, <laughs> the difference was is they would show you why you don't do it. Not like Hickson saying, we don't do that technique here. They would say, here's why you wouldn't do that. And then that proceed yeah. to break your knees. Right? So they go, here's how you stop yeah. it. And then I'm like, that makes oh, sense. damn. All right. Here's why I don't want to do that. So 
basically, yeah, the way the cycle used to work back in the day, 2003, 2004, 2005, whenever it was, at Bomb Squad days, was you had your set of uh, three moves that you drilled for two weeks straight. And we just repped that out for, God, what, half an hour maybe? It was probably half an hour to 45 minutes. Uh, you know, sometimes he'd go around and have somebody demo it. One thing he did do well um, is, you know, a lot of times he'd make people do teachbacks, which I implement in my class, you know, because we do one position a month. Mm. Uh, so he would basically, he would have mm. his stuff and then it's like he would have people get up, okay, you demo the move, do a teachback and then do it. And he'd be watching and then he'd do all those little tournaments in the class and get people <laughs> ready and all this nonsense. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was three techniques for every two weeks. Yeah. So I, I, I really liked that. And, you know, I also implemented the same sort of thing to, to my school as well, because mm. it really uh, it stuck with me, you know, being a bit more intentional in terms of training. Uh, the random technique every day used to drive me insane. Not that I'm the most organized person, but, you know, as a, as a beginner, mm. it was very difficult to kind of follow and put things together. It's horrible. I found. That's why I mean, eventually, obviously, so well. you can. Yeah. But... Yeah, but I think it, I mean, obviously it makes a really big difference when, you know, you're, you're as much as possible, you're teaching people how to, what to look for, not just like how to do something, but why they're doing it and, you know, what to look for and where the connection points are for other, other right. systems or other possibilities. Um, and I think that like when things, when techniques are taught in isolation, um, until you get to a certain point, I'd say probably like what late blue belt. If I was to put a label mm -hmm. on it, you start to kind of see how things are all starting to connect together. Right. But it, it's really kind of a long drawn out um, process, which probably has a lot to do with with the Brazilians wanting to keep people on uh, on certain belts, you know, for the money and all that. Yeah, kind of it's stuff. a total scam. Because um, that seems to be also a big. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be also part of the, you know, again, this ego-based system that we have going on here, which apparently has no ego. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's, kinda, it's kind of an interesting thing, right? Because we talk about mindset, we talk about leave your ego at the mm -hmm. door. And yet, at the same time, we don't really, like, there's no real class on mindset. Mm -hmm. It's just something that we talk about in jiu-jitsu on the mat usually after training when everyone's just shooting the shit. And then also at the same time, then we talk about, you know, the ego and letting the, and, and trying to control the ego as much as possible. Yet, you know, you see the average black belt walk into class and it's like, it's almost like you can smell it on yeah. them. It's, it, it's bad. It's so deep. Yeah. And then they proceed to beat the shit out of every single person in the academy. What is that? It's, it's stupid. I mean, I, you know what I mean? My, like, I don't know if that still happens. Oh, it happens everywhere. Yeah. I mean, but my philosophy is, is you should be training your still? students to beat you. You know, my goal is I want everybody to be better than me. Yeah. I want everybody, yeah. every single one of my students that yeah. step through the door, I want them to be better than me. That's the goal. They need to be better than me. And so yeah. if I cannot get them better and have a better understanding than I do, then I'm failing. That, that's, that's what I consider. I want them to know mm. more. I want them to be better. I want them to have the concepts down better. I want them to have deeper realizations and go, hey, coach, what about this? And turn me on and go, ooh, I like that. 
yes, this is how another way you could do this. Mm. You know, otherwise this is like it's totally mm. that type of egomaniac, you know, king of the mountain type of nonsense, which I, I think is it's unacceptable. I don't believe in that type of intellectual oppression. You know, I really want people mm. to develop. Mm. You know, and I think for me, where I kind of had a different perspective is both of my parents were teachers. So I saw like what what works, what doesn't work. Well, both my parents had different my mom taught young kids, was primarily a preschool teacher. So I saw how she did things from getting little kids to learn things. My dad, you know, taught much was a high school counselor and also taught different subjects at high school level. So I saw that and I was just like, okay, well I have to really implement and and study the art of teaching. And one thing that I learned also, uh, which I'd love to get your opinion on, is, you know, I was a formally trained musician. Okay, when I say formal, I went to music school. Mm. You know, I, I, was, I was accepted to a, a, a junior's program at Musicians Institute back in the late 80s, you know, taking lessons from world-class guitar players. Okay, and studying with some of the best musicians in the world. And one of the things, like one of my main teachers, he always did, as soon as I started making a mistake, if I made a mistake, he'd stop me, make me start from the beginning. And what I liked about that is he didn't allow me to make mistakes. Because what happens is if you practice mistakes over and over and over again, your mind-body connection connects to mistakes and not to what's correct. Mm -hmm. So in class, I know people get annoyed with me. I stop them all the time, right, Ed? I stop them. I go, nope, stop, do it again. As soon as I see, I, that's why I don't like having big classes. I like having really small classes because I'm very anal about what the students are doing. And as soon as I see you screw up, you're stopping and you start from the beginning. Because I, I don't want you to oh, yeah. build the repetitive motion of incorrect movement. It means you don't understand the concept and your body is not at, ready for the next step. So you're going to repeat the same thing over and over mm. and over again until I see it correctly, at minimum of 10 times, before you can mm. move on to the next step. Ed, feedback? Yeah, Coach Brian will mm. usually, like, I think because, you know, coming into PCI Jiu-Jitsu under him, um, you know, I have very minimal uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or even just grappling experience alone. So coming in with, you know, I'm, I'm still wet behind the ears is the way I would probably describe myself. and. I remember going through my first month, the first curriculum, um, and Coach Brian would always tell me, like, you got to place your elbow there. And I remember just re-drilling from, um, from one position, just just focusing on the elbow, just to get that in place. And every time it was off, start over. Every time it was out, start over, start over. And, I mean, it, it, I would say that it's it's much more into the principle of the of the movement and the move much rather than in micro details for as micro detail as he gets or hyper focus he gets on specific details it's that it's because it is so fundamental to the position so fundamental to the move you know so whether if if we were on our backs and we're doing mount escapes um you know if my elbow or my hands were not in a specific position it it was detrimental to how you know how my performance would be in that i would not be able to get out of the position that we were being taught to get out of and so it was like, your elbow's not mm. there. Your elbow's not up against his knee. So again, it's not like, oh, it has to be specifically here, but it's in principle, your elbow, you know, put it up against the guy's knee because now he can't move up. But then my hands are out of position. 
hey, he's moving up, still getting past your elbow because your hands aren't in the position. So do it again, do it again, do it again. And mm. so it, it's mm. very drilled in in that sense. And that's, that's how Billy Robinson taught me. You know, every Billy Robinson, you know, camp that I went to, that's how Billy Robinson taught. And I always tried to sneak in the back so he wouldn't see me. That old man, let me tell you, that dude had eagle eyes. Didn't matter where you were in that wrestling room. Mm. He would see you make a mistake. No, do it again. And that's that's where that thing comes from. I know, like Jake Shannon has that that he has a T-shirt. <laughs> do it again, Billy Robinson. Do it again because this was Billy Robinson's thing. Do it again. He would see. He would stop you in the middle of the move, humiliate you in front of everybody in the classroom, and say, "Do it again." Now, a lot of times he wouldn't give you specifics in terms of where you were making the mistake, but a lot of times he would see things where it's like, if you asked him, let's say your thumb was like an inch the wrong direction on the mat he's like that's the that's the, how you're going to win or lose the position it was like that specific so i remember like doing this like double wrist lock mm. throw from standing right where you go tuck and, and roll and i kept doing it wrong and he's yelling at me he's yelling at, at jake shan he's yelling at everybody he doesn't get it i'm like i don't understand what i'm doing wrong because sometimes he wasn't correcting me he just kept saying no do it again it wasn't until years later that I figured out what I was doing wrong. It was literally like how my hockey stick where my foot was placed in the crotch was off, like tweaked off by like maybe an inch or two because my knee was not centered in the chest. And as a result of that, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, cradling the throw properly. And so he, when he would make me do it over and over and over and you try doing that for 30 minutes because you keep fucking it up, boy, let me tell you. Mm. It's just like, all right, let me try again. Let me try again. And it's disheartening when you have somebody at that level say to you, no, you just don't get it. Man, talk about feeling like a failure. Like I need to, you get, I, me personally, I got motivated. I was like, I'm going to understand the minutia of this particular position and move because I need to get it because I need to um, kind of re reassert myself in terms of some type of competency in Billy Robinson's eyes. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember having similar situations with Hickson when I first started also that it was, you know, that I remember he was watching me grappling one time and I think I'd gotten the mount on this guy. Anyway, I remember specifically going for an armbar and getting stacked and passed. Right. And and I remember, um, you know, I'm like I'm laying on the mat and this guy's on top of me and then suddenly Hickson's head appeared right above my head ah. and he and he looks at me and he's like oh my brother too greedy <laughs> you know and here's me thinking like you know i'm really going to impress him right now you know showing him how i'm going to go for this classic gracie armbar check this shit out and consequently you know i basically just got rolled off stacked passed and then submitted oh my God. right and and so then afterwards hickson was talking about that about you know, like it, you know, how to how to keep a, a level of composure while training. Right. And he was explaining the, you know, the mindset behind that. So given my previous statement where we don't really talk about mindset that much, mm -hmm. Hickson, in my opinion, other than very few people actively really talked about it specifically as it relates to jujitsu, that it's not just like going there and learning the physical moves, but also 
understanding the why and the mentality behind things, he definitely would spend time doing that. Mm. I don't know how much he did it with everybody, but I remember having a, quite a few inter really interesting discussions with him about Eastern philosophy as well as jujitsu and, and stuff like that. He was a very interesting fellow. Um, but, but having said that, I think that part of, you know, my teaching methodology is, is definitely based on my previous experience, both experiences, both good and bad with different kinds of coaches that I've had. So in one sense, it's like, I know it's more normal these days to, to train at many different places, mm. as opposed to how it was back in the day. You probably remember it was very, um, you know, uh, what can you say? Partisan. Yeah. You know, that you, you. You know, what's that? What was that um, Brazilian term? Crianche. Yeah, the right? the traitor. <laughs> if you go train with a, a another school, remember when they used to throw that? Ah, crianche. Yeah. You know, you, you know, basically you're fucked and your life is over. You might as well just go off and die somewhere. Yeah. If you, God forbid, you went to train someplace else, um, and um, you know it's not like that anymore, fortunately. And and I think it, I think it's a really good thing. I think it's great for people to get different experiences with different kinds of instruction until you, you know, maybe you find somebody that you really like and you resonate with and they're your guy, you know. And, you know, I can honestly say that out of all the instructors that I've had, um, you know, the, the, the guy who gave me my brown belt and my black belt, you know, is the main influence in, on my life. Mm. And that's Adam Watts. And he doesn't have the name of Eddie Bravo or Hicks and Gracie, but, um, you know, for my in terms of my development and my relationship with a coach, you know, that has come to full fruition, if you like, uh, with him. And I think that there's the potential for that with everybody. So at this point, I would say that if somebody's unhappy with their coach, don't quit. There's a lot of people out there and it's a big world. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I think that. Uh, you know, like I think once I got to the point where I considered quitting jujitsu mm. and um, and that was just before I met Adam um, and I was a purple belt at that time, four stripe purple belt at that time. Um, so um, and I, I and I think given the balance of all of these experience it, experiences is kind of good in terms of dealing with students because you know what they're going through and you can kind of like help people you know, along the path. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a question of, of just like being mature about it, you know, and understanding that it's like, you know, people have various things going on in their life and it's just not all about you. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't make them a traitor to your philosophy or your kind of jujitsu or whatever, because they may have a preference for somebody else. Yeah. You know, everybody is different, you know, and, you know, again, it's like, you know, we're arguing about, you know, different which martial art is the best and then within jiu-jitsu we're, we're arguing about which style is the best or which clothing is the best <laughs> or which technique is the best and it's like all of this stuff is really just a distraction you know oh, i get that you know it, it's funny that you say that i don't even know what we're talking about no what but are we this talking is good about? yeah you, well no <laughs> but it, it gives me to the segue to the to the part where you know about diversity of training and learning and just being open-minded. I can't mm. tell you how many people get offended that mm. I teach catch wrestling. Because like, oh, it doesn't work. That stuff sucks, blah, blah, blah. It's not real jujitsu. I'm like, where do you think jujitsu came from? <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is all BS. It's a bunch of phony yeah. clown stuff. And 
it's like it's so sad to have such a low level mentality. I was just like, well, why don't you just come and have fun and try it and and see what it's all about, mm. you know? And it's just like you get so many closed off, narrow minded mm. people, or they're in a school where there's still that culty behavior, where right where I'm hosting seminars of like amazing people, and you have people's telling their students oh don't go there that's not part of our affiliation or don't go there that's those are dirty techniques or that's bad or this and that or that's not ibjjf legal what like open your mind yeah. you know yeah. eric pulse and, and and josh barnett both said years and years ago i see hear them both say the same thing train learn everything and then adjust you what mm. you're going to do based on if you're going to compete based on the rules of the tournament. Otherwise, if you're not doing mm. a tournament, learn everything, train everything, and then whatever works best for you, whatever you're able to digest, and what fits your, your style, use that. It wasn't like this, this close-mindedness, mm. but I still think that there's this very culty close-mindedness where people are um, kind of mesmerized very by a, you know, a person or a, a particular style, and it's just like if you're not wearing their T-shirt or they're rash guard, then you're no good. And this is like, dude, come on, seriously? You know, and, and I'll go teach places mm. where, you know, or I'll, you get invited to go teach somewhere or do like little seminars and stuff. I remember I, I was uh, teaching a class last weekend and these guys come to me, they were like from three different schools. It's like, oh my God, you totally changed my game. Yeah, totally. Why haven't I learned? I, the thing that I always hear is why haven't I ever learned this? I'm like, well, it's one of two things. Either mm. your coach has done a private with me and they don't want you to know, so they're trying to keep a one up on you, or they just don't they haven't learned it either, so they don't know how to teach you. You know, those the, those are really those mm -hmm. are really the two things. This is like there's that close-mindedness from the top. If you're close-minded from the top, you're going to raise close-minded, you know, grappling progeny. <laughs> Which is sad. It's very sad. Mm. Mm -hmm. In my opinion. Learn it all. I mean, I, I, I can't speak for you. And I think part of the a wider discussion, too, and I'd be interested in your point of view on this, because, you know, coming from the spiritual tra tradition that we come from, that, um, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity, obviously, around delivering that message according to, you know, the the um, the rules of the tradition, if you like. Yeah. And then, you know, there's. Obviously, there's a particular practices that we have that we follow as part of that tradition. Mm. Um, and I think that through that, I developed, a, you know, again, a real sensitivity to kind of really when I hear that sort of like dogmatic sort of approach. Mm -hmm. um, that's just that's just not my place. And unfortunately, you can hear it a lot. And even even now. Even as, you know, things have evolved since 1993, <laughs> you know, you can still you still hear people talking. You know, we don't you don't get creonche thrown around thrown around that much just because the Brazilians, I don't think, have as big of a position as they used to having in jujitsu um, now. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's certainly it's still, if not said, it's implied a lot of times that if you're not following the program according to what a particular personality is telling you that the program is, therefore you don't understand and have to do something different. And, and it's very binary sort of thinking mm. in terms of rather than being open-minded 
and being open to that, like that idea. I remember Hickson talking about bringing in a technique from Russian sambo. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember hearing like some, you know, muttering under people's breaths about it, you know, from the, the higher belts. But I thought it was really cool. And obviously not knowing anything different at that point, being a white belt. Yeah. In hindsight, looking back on that, I just thought it was such a cool thing that it was like, great. You know, actually, we're just, you know, like Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, uh, Jeet Kune Do was my first martial art. Mm -hmm. So obviously I really adhered to Bruce Lee's philosophy of, you know, basically you're using techniques that work. Yeah. Wherever they come from. Right. You know, fighting is fighting, blah, 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 all of that stuff, right? So even within the context of grappling, I mean, it's a big world. There's a lot of styles out there, and there's some fantastic techniques in every style. And, you know, to kind of limit it to Elio Gracie's invented version <laughs> would be a big disservice, yeah. don't you think? I mean, you know... Um, you know, you look at the way ADCC has progressed, mm -hmm. EBI, submission grappling, all of these things, now submission grappling, and American jiu-jitsu is becoming as popular as the traditional Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, more traditional Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm -hmm. I should say. Um, you can see how things are, are kind of evolving, but there's still a little bit of that closed-mindedness. I think human beings, we like to be part of groups. Yeah. And it's difficult to kind of divorce from that. But I think as much as possible, having an open mind and just being there to just absorb and learn and ask useful questions. Yeah. You know, not the what if. Right. <laughs> not those questions. Um, but, you know, just like really having a having a very, um, you know, a very open student kind of mentality mm -hmm. of going to class to kind of just really absorb as much information as you possibly can. And if your instructor is cherry picking um, techniques from Russian Sambo to teach you in your grappling class, fuck yeah, sign yeah. me up. You know, so you know, I mean, why not? Here, here's what I'll I'll say to that uh, because I think you made some excellent points. Number one, what we see today is so it's very different than how I was taught in the sense that I was by Billy Robinson, mm. by Chris Howder, I was taught concepts i wasn't necessarily taught a bunch of random techniques and moves so the priority like the the top of the pyramid mm. so to speak was the concepts and in another podcast you know because it was a request from a couple listeners that we actually i you know we do a podcast at some point on concepts versus just random techniques so i will get into that in detail but i'll, I'll just brush on it like this lightly touch so when you learn conceptually you kind of have a bigger picture you know, in terms of how mm. to create versus if you just learn a technique, you don't see the field of battle. You just see, okay, well, I can just throw, throw a javelin this way or shoot an arrow like this, but you're not seeing the full picture. So you're not getting a broader picture if you're just learning mm. random techniques. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is most schools where you go to, the instructor teaches their game they're not teaching the concepts. They're not teaching mm. the mechanics and the foundational philosophy of, of submission grappling. To me, it's all gi or no gi submission grappling. I hate the term BJJ because it, what is BJJ? It's so abstract. You know, what is this? What is that? It's all, it doesn't matter if yeah. it's catch, sambo, all this stuff is submission grappling. You're either wearing a gi or you're not wearing a gi. 
right? But it's submission grappling. There's a mm. submission component and you're grappling. You should have a stand-up component. You should have a pin. Mm. You have to learn how to pin somebody and you have to have a submission component. So it's three things. So because people are teaching their game, this is where the ego comes in because they think their game is the best game. But you have people that they're so attribute-based and they're so athletic. And I have friends this way. They're super athletic mm. D1 wrestlers that are amazing grapplers, but there's like less than 1% of grapplers can do what they can do. It's not functional, right? So how, yeah. do you, how do you have a functional system that works for everybody? This is what I learned from Chris Howder. This is what I learned from Billy Robinson. So Billy Robinson is just like, do not mm. change the technique. Do not teach the technique of how you adjust for your body type. Teach the technique the way I taught you, the way it was been passed down for hundreds and thousands of years. And then you make your adjustment. But what you teach is you teach as it is. Right. And you know that term as it is, mm. Steve. So yeah. we're teaching as it is. So I'm teaching catch wrestling as it is. I'm teaching, you know, that Chris Howder, Hegan Machado, jujitsu style as it is. I am not making an adjustment because, oh, I like to do it like this. I like to do it like this. I teach it exactly the way I learned it from Hegan, or I teach it exactly the way I learned it primarily for me from, from Chris Howder. I teach something exactly the way I learned it from Billy Robinson. Then if somebody says, well, coach, what do I do to fit? Okay, here's how you would make an adjustment for your body type, your size, or against an opponent different size from you or different weight, blah, blah, blah. But that's, that's where we run into a huge issue from what you're saying is because people are so sucked into their own ego, teaching their game to their students, instead of teaching fundamentals, instead of teaching the concepts and mechanics, people get ruined and then it becomes incredibly schizophrenic. Mm. So that's what we have today is it's like, mm. it's all over the place. And then these rule sets, the reason why, you know, I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm not a fan of what I call sport BJJ. I don't like people holding each other. I don't like people like sitting in like say the 50, 50, guard or whatever they call it and waiting to lift an ass cheek and say I'm the winner because I lifted my butt three inches higher than you at the last second I'm like come on <laughs> I, I'll never forget this I saw yeah. it was it was one of the it was uh, Cobrina I'll just say who it was it was Cobrina against uh, one of those those brothers that Mendes. Mendes yeah there you go it was at the world Mendes. yeah and I'll never forget the finals. Yeah. They're wearing their geese. At, I don't know. I'm sitting there at the, at the, in Long Beach watching this thing. I'm sitting. Here's, I'm, who's here? I'm sitting there. We're watching this. It's me, Chris Howder, and Matt Thornton. Okay? So we're sitting together watching this Ooh. match. He, they, the one lifts his ass a little bit higher than the other, jumps up, and starts screaming like he's the world champion. I'm like, dude, you sat there for nine minutes and 58 seconds holding somebody doing mm. absolutely nothing. You lift your ass like you're going to fart and now you're the champion. Sorry, you're not. Absolutely not. I, 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 I right. think that that is so, such a poor example. Now, mind you, that is not discrediting them for being amazing athletes and amazing grapplers because they are amazing athletes and amazing grapplers. Mm. They are, what they are doing is they are destroying the art of submission grappling by number one, playing into these rules, playing into the mafia of the IBJJF and these, these organizations that do this, instead of doing, hey, everybody should go do Josh Barnett's tournament. It's pin and submit. Let me tell you something. We had so much fun with that tournament. Mm. Josh Barnett, in my opinion, has the best tournaments. It's pin and submit. The matches are quick. They're fun. Mm. 
Uh, they, they go super quick. And you want to see who the best grappler is? Have a pin component where you're holding somebody down and have the submission component at the same time and watch the magic. It's super fun, exciting. If people have never watched Japan combat wrestling, you know, you know, I think they're, they, they've probably are, are restarting it again this year. They haven't done it for a while, but if you watch combat wrestling Japan, check that out. That's fun where you, you have to constantly move. Years ago, Hickson did a tournament. Where is that Hickson Gracie Budo challenge? I'm not sure if he did it in LA or Japan or something, but basically what he did was he did it in LA. It was in LA. Yeah. You know, there was a penalty for guard pulling. Yeah. And you had to be aggressive. Right. That's how it should be. If you're not going to have a pin component, you sure as hell only better be awarding points for somebody who is aggressively attacking. Not this, let me see how hard I can hold you into this guard and like, let me hold you down and lift my ass in the air to be the winner. No, that's not the winner. That to me, that, that to me is a sign of, of Well, of look, weakness. I mean, that's... Go ahead. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, in, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with with the guard in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But there's a seduction to the guard, you know, in the sense of, you know, you can just lay there and hold somebody in it. Yeah. But also, also at, the, at the other side of things, too, is that if... If you make that kind of an adjustment in your own mind, then you're really kind of you're really at odds with the whole principle of why you got into a martial art in the first place. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's like that. You know, there, there's a there's a, a famous soccer team in England, and they always talk about when they show up to, up to uh, like you know, away grounds and places like you know other other teams' grounds, they'll do what's called parking the bus. So it's the same kind of thing, you know, in terms of not necessarily stalling, but just stalling out the game in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So basically what they do in, in soccer is they'll, you know, there's 11, peop 11 uh, uh, people per team, and they'll have all 11 people inside their own penalty box defending against the other team attacking. And it's the worst shit you've ever seen in your life. It's almost like you want a refund from going to see a game like that. <laughs> And somehow or other, the Brazilians seem to be okay with it. Yeah. That like this is what jujitsu has become. Yeah. We've gone from Gracie in action and dojo storming to now people holding somebody in side control, jumping up like they just knocked out Muhammad Ali. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's insane. It's just completely insane. Ridiculous. It's like uh, uh, what was that? What was that joke? Um, that. Um, you know, uh, this guy took, uh, from, what was his name? This comedian from Pineapple Express, where he talks about, I'm not trying to get better, you know, trying to be the world champion of, of exercising or something like that. It was in reference to like a martial art. <laughs> uh, it was just, it was just like hilarious. Cause it's like, like what's going on? Are, are like people spending like hours and hours and hours trying to figure out how to hold somebody in close guard? It's, really, like, it's insane. Like how long do you need to study that? Uh, you know, That's why it drives me nuts. Anyways, hey, Steve, I, I don't want to, we're going crazy here. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you and me, we could be talking for hours and I don't want to talk everybody's ear off. But I do mm. want to say really quick, because this is fantastic. And we're going to have to have you on again. You you actually have a very interesting business where you do, um, you know, corporate team building, stuff like that. Can you plug really quick how people can get a hold of you if they're looking for something for, you know, their businesses in terms of how you can help them develop? Yeah. Um, basically, uh, you know, my wife and I work in uh, team building and leadership development. 
and um, uh, we independently contract for different um, team building mm -hmm. companies all over North America. And, um, you know, we, we go for, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum of team building. Some of them are like team events where we just have fun. And then some of them are like more deep, deeper processing where, you know, there are actual serious issues that people want to get into. And it's not like therapy, but, you know, there's a lot of, you know, obviously the dynamics of communication and, you know, interactions, you know, within a workplace and mm -hmm. stuff like that, you know, that, you know, we get into the, into that kind of stuff on a more serious level. Um, and then there's everywhere in between. Um, given my interest in the martial arts, um, you know, there's a component of that within some of the stuff that we do, but it's not limited to that. It's not really, there's no real limitation in terms of um, the sort of activities that we do in terms of like how we process them according to the needs of, of the particular people that are hiring us mm -hmm. to work with them. Um, so it's, a, it's quite a, a wide open sort of field. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, um, you know, uh, my information, I guess you could share my information afterwards or whatever, or, you know, anyone can contact me on social media, the Godia Guard Puller on, uh, Instagram and uh, we can have a chat. Awesome. Um, but, um, um, that's, that's essentially what we do. It's kind of vague, mm -hmm. I know in general, but it's a very big mm -hmm. field. So, um. You know, if anyone's interested in any kind of like team building and stuff like that, give awesome. me a call. Ed, bring it home, baby. Yeah, we'll throw it into the uh, we'll throw it into the uh, podcast description links and contact information. But okay. yeah, I hate to cut the uh, conversation because uh, God, it, it's it's moving, it's flowing, a lot of stuff. I'm I'm just sitting back listening and just learning from these two masters here. In my opinion, just getting warmed up. Just getting warmed up. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say we're gonna have to have you back for another episode because this. I mean, this could. I, I still want. I want to know more about from both of you what it was like being a monk. Um, again, more on this. You know, Steve, you mentioned about the high performance, uh, the coaching and the leadership stuff. And it's interesting because I'm actually studying uh, organizational leadership for my doctorate right now. And so, you know, I'd love to have some mm. conversations around that as well and how all of this just kind of fits together. And I think it's um, it's just, it's, mm. you know, I, I tell Coach Brian this pretty much every class I've been in. It's like, God, you're, my mind is blown just with um, understanding, like, you know, you guys were talking about kind of the tribalism within the jiu-jitsu community or in the jiu-jitsu world. Like, I never really understood that until I got to PCI and we were, ho and I, you know, I was there for our, my first event with Chris Howder and helping with the marketing and the planning mm -hmm. around that. And I was like, wow, people are actually backing out because, you know, their schools are telling them not to go or, you know, they, again, they don't want to be seen as yeah. the trader, right? And so... It was, it was awesome because, and I should probably try to get this footage back because Coach Brian in his introductory kind of spiel speech at the uh, Chris Howder event was was thanking everyone for their bravery, you know, that, hey, you guys are being brave to be here. We acknowledge that and we thank you for that. And, you know, kind of to the point of our podcast being trying to level up our grappling, like, yeah, you know, it takes bravery to level up. And so, um, Steve, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insight. And the the invitation is always open for you to please 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 come back onto the show we'd love to have you again well thanks guys i appreciate it and i would love to come back awesome on. so yes now don't forget you can find dr edward quack at mallard creative llc.com mallard creative <laughs> not, not a doctor oh, yet. whatever <laughs> well commander quack he's still commander quack of the you know squadron 
god. Yeah. No, yeah. What, what do you guys <laughs> do that? What's that thing called? That aeroplane list. squadron or whatever? Civil Air Patrol. It's it's a volunteer. Well, thing, you're still a volunteer. I was going to yeah, I was actually going to bring something up around that earlier when we were talking about superstitions. I got a uh, so I work with a lot of youth, and a number of my cadets um, they play hockey, and their superstition they get upset because because we're associated with the United States Air Force, we have a uniform code. So, for example, their hair cannot touch the top of their ears; it can't be that long, and so they have to cut their hair. While the rest of their team is leaving their hair, they're growing it out for the entire season, thinking that's why they're going to win. And they get upset, and every time they lose a game, they blame our cadet. They're like, "Dude, it's your fault because you cut your hair." <laughs> that's so cute. So that's cute. Oh man, love it. Yeah, but yeah, and just it's an interesting subject, and, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, no, absolutely. The whole psychology about all that. Yeah, and then I mean, even I mean, God, we can go down even further with like all the culture stuff. Because so I'm Korean, and so there's there's a bunch of superstition stuff around there too. Like, um, I remember when I lived in Korea and going to a Buddhist monastery. I stepped, you know, you're supposed to step in with your left foot. You don't step in with your right foot. And I stepped in with my right foot. Guy told me to step back out and do it again. I was like, oh, okay. So the whole thing about doing it again, yeah, I learned to step in with your left first. So. <laughs> but just a quick plug here is like, yeah, you know, this Level Up Gra- Grappling is the official podcast of PCI Jiu-Jitsu in Mission Viejo, California. And, you know, we, we based on, you know, like we said in, in, in the conversation today is if you guys want to, you guys are out there and you guys want to learn something new, you guys want to learn or... You know, whether it's new to you or not, if you guys want to, we, the mats are open. Uh, we, we invite you to come. We invite you to learn uh, with us, along with us. And um, as we always say, it's truly a, dis- a journey of self-discovery. And that jujitsu or really just grappling in and of itself is is our platform. And that's, that's, our, that's our path that we're taking. So, Awesome. Well, thank you all. This is awesome. And I'm coming to class too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, come, man. I'm waiting for you. I thought you were, because you said you're coming in April. And then... yeah. It's April's in like three mm. more days left. So are you coming in the next three days? I was we- I was I was I was wearing gray and red sprawl shorts. I couldn't do it. All right. <laughs> 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 well, you know, you're coming when you're coming, so we'll be ready for you. So we'll kick this out All with right, the bro. outro bumper. Thanks so much, the legend Steve Silvers, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>